1977, a number of years ago now, at the beginning of my ministry, after completing a 14-month internship at the First Presbyterian Church of Monterey, I returned to seminary with a desire to experience a different ministry setting, an environment that was unfamiliar, where I would be stretched in new ways. I'd spoken to God about this, as well as the field education office at the seminary, but at that time, nothing was available. So I let it go and focused on my schooling. About two weeks later, however, I received a call from the chaplain at the State Psychiatric Hospital at Byberry, a district outside Philadelphia. He was starting a pilot CPE, which is Clinical Pastoral Education Program, and was wondering if I'd be willing to apply. He'd gotten my name from the director of the field ed. I jumped at the opportunity. This is just what I wanted, I thought. Some of you have heard this story before. Philadelphia State was the institution where the severely mentally ill would be placed by county mental health departments throughout the state of Pennsylvania. It was a horrible place. If you are familiar with one flew over the cuckoo's nest, that place paled in comparison. It was also a place in which I was totally ill-prepared, and I wondered after being there only a few days, had I any of the skills to help? That question played itself out three weeks later. As I entered an unfamiliar building, walking down a very long, dimly lit corridor that connected two wards to where I was to visit, suddenly I was jumped by a patient who said, I want to get out of here now. Luckily for me, an aide came to my assistance about five minutes later, but those intervening five very long, very painful minutes, I will never forget, as I was pushed back with my back to the wall, sandwiched between two very high lockers, having a six foot five, about 235 pound patient looking down at me with a definite agenda in his eyes. He knew I had the keys. What a way to begin a shift. But there was more excitement to come that day. A couple hours later, I had completed a staff review on a patient who had taken a very serious turn to a deeper depression. She was a woman in her mid-40s, mother of three, and the primary wage earner for her family. Leaving the conference room, I ran into the woman's husband. He asked how Bernice was doing and when she would be coming home. I explained, which I probably ought not to have done, that her condition had worsened and that she most likely would be at the hospital a long time. He went ballistic, blaming me for her illness and threatening me if I didn't get her out of there immediately. I was the chaplain. I had the authority, he said. You can do it. Tell God to make her well, he yelled at me. All I wanted to do was to tell God to get me the <clears throat> out of there. <laughs> I mean, come on. I was only the student chaplain. What power did I have? Why was he angry at me? But I was the convenient one. I was the one in front of him. I understood that, but that didn't change anything in the moment. <sighs> well, I thought I had handled myself rather well that day as four other students and I drove back to Princeton processing our afternoon. 
After dinner, however, while talking with a friend, I realized I really hadn't dealt with the day very well. The next part of the story is somewhat embarrassing to remember, much less to admit. After talking with my friend Susan, who is now also a Presbyterian minister serving churches in the East, I found myself sitting on her bed in Erdman's Hall, almost in a fetal position in a corner, yelling at God. Why in the hell am I there? I haven't the tools to deal with those people, their emotions, their craziness, their pain. Why, God, am I there? I can't take it anymore. I've got to get out of here. After listening and consoling me, Sue reminded that I had asked, even prayed, for such a ministry opportunity. Who asked her to listen to me? <laughs> she was right. I had indeed prayed for such a place like Philadelphia State. It was a rite of passage for me, a place where I learned a lot about myself, a lot about mental illness, and a lot about the character of God. You know the adage, be careful what you pray for. Today is the first Sunday in Lent. And if Lent is about anything, it's about a time to pause, to reflect, to be silent. Lent is a time to withdraw, to become engaged, when we are contemplative so we can take up activity, when we attend to our inner yearnings and God's inner nudgings so we can take up the cross of justice and work for the way of peace. Lent is not about doing without, but doing something. This is not a time to give up, but to take on. This is a season when we are asked to be intentional about our relationship with God, or as we were reminded by Deacon Brian of Dignity this past Ash Wednesday, to fall in love with God all over again for the first time. Our theme this Lent is Rite of Passage, and our focus this amazing photograph captured during, during the total solar eclipse, a rite of passage, if you will, where the Earth is making a passage crossing in front of the sun, and just at that moment the photograph was taken, creating this amazing shadow, this reflection of the cross. Lent always points to the cross and what's beyond, but we must begin in the wilderness. Hear these words from St. Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens tore apart and a spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved, with you. I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Jesus was in the wilderness, 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The sovereignty of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The sheer brevity of Mark's story flings us into the life and ministry of Jesus. 
If it weren't for the gospel writers of Matthew and Luke, we'd have no idea what happened in the wilderness. In 23 words, Mark simply tells that the Spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness, and there for 40 days he was tempted. Luke uses 268 words and Matthew 244 to tell us about what took place. Jesus was in the wilderness, tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now Lent, this season of the church, is 40 days, excluding Sundays, six weeks, reminding us of Jesus' 40 days in the rough country, in the backwoods, if you will, as he prepared for the ministry that was to come. The wilderness was a rite of passage for Jesus where he learned a lot about himself and a lot about the character of God. For Matthew and Luke, we learn that Jesus was tempted to be relevant, spectacular, powerful, and after each temptation, Jesus learned what he was made of and how he couldn't go back but only forward. Judy Leaf, the Buddhist author in her book, Making Friends with Death, writes, in ordinary life, there are times when you have a breakthrough and finally understand something. You get it. And when that happens, you can never then disunderstand it. In the wilderness, Jesus got it. He went from not knowing what he could do to knowing what he could do. He began to understand what he could be tempted to do and wasn't wooed by those temptations. My dear friends, Lent provides the same lens for us to view things that might pull us away from God. At Philadelphia State, I had to confront my fears, fear of my physical safety, Fear of not being enough. Fear of failing. I also had to confront my faith in this God whom I said I longed to serve. Did I? When I reflect on this today, I'm aware of how that experience and so many others like it invite me to a rite of passage to love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and to love my neighbors as I love myself. What this means for me is to seek the face of God in everyone I meet. What this means to me is in the wake of yet another tragic disaster brought about by unbridled gun legislation in this country, I need to write letters and donate funds to bring about a change in the madness of our nation. What this means to me is that I have to find in the wilderness what I'm made of, what I might be tempted by and not to be wooed by those temptations. This all reminds me of Psalm 25 that we heard Jonathan read earlier. It's really a prayer. I know of your mercy, compassionate one, and of your steadfast love, you have been with me from the very beginning. Forgive the many times I have walked away from you, choosing to walk alone. With your steadfast love, once again, 
companion me along your way. This is my prayer this Lent for me, to seek God's steadfast love to companion me along the way as I make a rite of passage of falling in love with God all over again for the first time. What is your prayer this season? When you came in this morning, hopefully you were given an envelope with a card inside it. I ask you now in the silence, well, pull that card out. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Betty will get one for you. Does anyone not have? There's one over here, a few back there, Ron. Ron, Josh, Selena. I ask you to write a prayer or a longing for you this Lent as you make your rite of passage to the cross. After you've done so, put the card in the envelope, seal it, write your address on it, and Jenna will put a basket on the table, invite you to bring it forward when you feel so led.